OneFootball, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast with me, Ian McCourt, Paddy Higgs. Hello. Ryan Kent. Hey. And fresh from his holidays and looking like a suntanned Roger Ramjet, <laughs> it's Nico Durbin. Hi. Nico, you were in Greece. That's true, yeah. How was it? Nice, warm, sunny. What All did, of it. What did you do? Um, touristing. Walking around Acropolis, museums, good stuff. Yeah. Okay. While you were away, uh, taking in the sights in the sun, uh, you might have missed the rise of Marcus Rashford at Manchester United. Uh, Paddy, maybe you could fill Nico in on why people are getting so excited about uh, the rise of Rashford. Well, they should probably calm down a little bit because he's goalless in one now. So uh, <laughs> it's the beginning of a, a Rooney-like slump, I would say. But um, no, I mean, 18-year-old kid, he's now, uh, you know, he made a big splash on debut um, in the Champions League against FC Micheland. Um Obviously, the brace against Arsenal was perhaps even more notable. Um, the kid's, uh, yeah, he's got a lot of pace. Um, he seems to be in the right place at the right time. Um, still at school, still 18. I think there, there was a photo of him after the Arsenal game turning up to school um, wearing his Man United jacket, which I found a bit odd because, honestly, mate, we know who you are now. You don't <laughs> need to wear it to school. Not just his jacket, <laughs> but he was wearing the entire Manchester yeah, tracksuit. Yeah, yeah, it's like he'd been out all night, you know. Yeah. Um, but he's 18, so... Um, yeah, so I, I don't think he's going to have to wear that tracksuit much longer um, for people to recognise him. That being said, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, um, kids who have made a splash early and it remains to be seen how he goes. It, hopefully there's not too much pressure on him because he looks like a good talent. The obvious one that people have been compared to is Federico Makeda. Absolutely, yeah. Which And we all saw uh, how that sort of petered out for uh, Makeda. Um, so, yeah, hopefully the, the pressure um, doesn't get too, too big on his shoulders. He looks like he could be a, a really good um, prospect for United. It's going to be interesting if they if he plays alongside Martial, Martial at some point. I think uh, those two, the pace that those two might have up front will be, uh, will be very cool to watch. Federico Makeda just to get back to him for a second, is one of those Kennedy moments, I think, for football fans. Where were you when <laughs> Federico Makeda scored that goal? And I remember exactly where I was. Where was that? I was in a bar in Latvia on my way on my way home from a very long trip. <laughs> and I remember watching it exactly and getting very excited and then being very disappointed afterwards because he really did nothing after No, he really goal. didn't. Where is he now? Does anyone know? I remember him coming to Stuttgart, which, by the way, is uh, my favourite team. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember him scoring any goals, though. <laughs> so. I don't think he's scored many for a few seasons now, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, dream debut, Paddy? Yeah, I mean, he obviously had a, uh, a fantastic dream debut in the Europa League. I think it's a Champions League before, but uh, Europa League, of course, and then again in, in the Premier League. So, um, yeah, you can't get much more memorable than those few days uh, what happens next is, is anyone's guess but uh, it looks a good prospect has anybody else got some dream debuts that they can think of that go alongside this there's Nuri Shahin who's just the, the youngest ever uh, player in the Bundesliga um, he's now not still but again playing for the team he debuted for um, that's interesting I don't have any like national team debuts are a bit more uh, memorable um, but 
besides that, like for the team, I don't know. There's yeah. a there's a very good national team one, uh, Lionel Messi. <laughs> at 18, 18 years of age he was making his debut against um, Hungary which coincidentally is the same team that Maradona also made his debut against and are you comparing the two by the way? not that I'm comparing the two but they both <laughs> they both made their who would you rather? <laughs> Messi <laughs> although if I was going to go out for a drink then I'd probably want to go with Maradona because you know he'd probably have some more entertaining tales but so Messi comes onto the pitch making his debut a really proud Argentinian 44 seconds later he's back in the dressing room having been sent off <laughs> and he ends up in tears in the dressing room but there's a thing about like young kids debuting and um, like three years later like they're out injuries whatever like remember last written Debuting yeah, with yeah. 17, 18, yeah. I'm not sure. He scores the, the deciding goal against Juve in the Champions League final, like 10 seconds after he's uh, in. And now he's running the... some. He has a job in the youth academy in Dortmund, which is fair enough, but he's not playing. Yeah, I mean, Germany has a few, not so much on a, a debut, but players who made an impact very early in their careers. Um, Sebastian Deisler is one of the more sadder stories. Of course, he was a, a real prospect for Hertha Berlin. Um, made a move to Bayern Munich soon after. Was meant to be the, the next big thing in German football. Suffered some terrible injuries and, and probably more, well, definitely more sadly, some, some crippling depression. And it was done before he was 30. So um, it goes to show, and you, you pointed out with Makeda as well, it goes to show that uh, a lot can change you know, in the next couple of seasons. But let's just hopeful. You know, it's a great start for Rashford. And uh, let's not get too negative on it. In terms of worst debuts, though, Jonathan Woodgate, he seals the deal yep. he joined Real Madrid <laughs> played his first game 561 days after recovering from injury managed to score an own goal and then get sent <laughs> off as Real Madrid lost yeah, I mean, that's quite the debut if anyone can top that um, it, it'd be the, the worst debut of all time because honestly that's that's Abysmal. Abysmal. that yeah. was a harsh yellow card though for the second yeah. <laughs> I, I was watching it on YouTube before and it's like you know, it's a bit harsh, you know. It's, it's, it's his debut. He's, he's had a yellow card already. He blocks a guy. You know, give him mm. the benefit of the doubt. I think history doesn't remember that harsh yellow. No. Do they? I just remember that terrible, terrible debut. I think, like for me, in terms of like great debuts, you have to look at Alan Shearer. He scored a hat trick on his debut for Southampton. He scored on his debut for Blackburn and England as well. Um, I think Jimmy Greaves scored on his debut for every club that he played for. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fowler, Robbie Fowler, he scored on his League Cup debut for Liverpool, and then return victory, he scored five. <laughs> so, um, did you get this all in the same Wikipedia document, by the way, Ron? Um, <laughs> 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 it's great research. It's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, you compare Rashford to those guys. You can't, like, you, like you say, Paddy, you can't really judge him on a couple of games, but. You know, if he follows the footsteps of those guys, then he's got a good career ahead of him. One football. Elsewhere, on a more serious note, the chief suits from England's so-called top five clubs have been seen exiting a top London hotel this week after reported discussions of a European Super League. E has anybody got anything good to say about this? Ryan, maybe? There is one positive thing that I can think of in all of this. Is that you're going to get really exciting games every single week. You know, you're a Man United fan, 
you've got Barcelona on Saturday, you've got Bayern Munich on Wednesday, you know, you've got Galatasaray on Saturday. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's exciting for a, a Man United fan or a, a Barcelona fan to play, you know, these fixtures week in, week out. But that's that's about it. There are a lot of positives in there for the clubs um, who are behind that. Um, it's it's obviously a rather monetary-driven decision um, to do it. Um, not a decision at that point, um, but it's more leverage, leverage against the UEFA, I would say. Uh, UEFA itself being in a lot of political trouble and changes currently, organizationally as well. Um, so it's the the clubs who try to just get some power out of this, I guess, and try to leverage against the UEFA. Yeah, and uh, I, I, you're 100% correct, I think. Um, I mean, it's understandable that reviews should constantly be made about um, how many teams in, in each league you know, uh, have representatives in the Champions League. But to be honest, it's still utter crap. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's arrogant by those big clubs. It's like saying for the Euros, the coming Euros, that Albania should be out and the Netherlands should be in. I mean, it should be based on merit, um, not the, the, the how much money you think you have in, in the bank account. Um, a lot of these clubs, all these clubs have earned their spot in the, in the Champions League based on what the rules are at the moment. And yes, that may change in the future, but it should be based on performance and not mm. the size of the club, how many fans you have and how much money you have in the bank accounts. It's pure and simple. Yes, yes, but you have to start somehow. And I'm sure they're smart enough um, in... If, if they want to get fans on board, they have to base it on performance in, in the long run and to make it sustainable. Um, to kick off, though, you need the, the clubs, um, the biggest clubs, to start something like that. They also have the biggest power um, in the existing uh, institutions like the UEFA. So I, I would differentiate here between um, the initial start of such league and the, the ongoing qualification for it. Yeah, um, going back to my point before about the fans, kind of it benefiting the fans from these big clubs. You know, in that respect, I'm talking just for TV fans. You know, yeah, you're a you're a Man United fan. You live in Moss Side. You you're not going to go to away games at Bayern Munich one week, Barcelona the next week. You're not going to go to Turkey or like Italy. You know, week in week out. Whereas domestic leagues at the moment, you can travel to Liverpool, you can travel to Newcastle. Like this is not a big problem. The European Super League, it's going to be very difficult for away fans. Certainly, I think with a kind of a fixed income in the lower end of the scale, those fans are going to be priced out of these. Yeah, it's not. It's not necessarily the the ticket um, uh, sales that that's making the big bucks here. On that it's definitely TV rights Absolutely. and media rights and so on so um, when you talk about or when you look at different continents in Asia and the US and the interest coming from there um, it's obviously it sells better if you sell the menu night against Bayern Munich mm. um, than a Wednesday night game uh, Bayern Munich against Mainz you know um, yeah. at the same time uh, I I don't think that it's that it really makes sense to talk too much about it at this point. Um, all the right contracts are in place for another three years, I think, um, for the Champions League. 
um, the the money the clubs are making uh, is increasing for years now. They've doubled um, in the last two or three years again, um, and it's really just it's really just a leverage, I think, and, and an alternative route that the clubs are checking out the possibility. Yeah, again, I mean, I think you have a, you have a good point, and. It's it's a lot of this is reading between the lines from the media point of point of view as well. You know these meetings could there might be fifty different topics in these meetings, and perhaps this is one of them, of course. But you know um, it would take a lot for this to get off the ground. I believe. I mean, it's it's blatantly aware that something like this would make the big clubs bigger and everyone else would fall away, and we'd end up with um, you know again uh, five major leagues and more, um, obviously around Europe. Um, that would be so lopsided that there's really no interest anyway. So I think um, even Bayern, Bayern Munich, of course, would know that. They want to be competitive on, on their domestic soil as well as when they go over to Europe. Um, so it makes sense um, that a lot of caution would be used in any decision like this. Is there an argument to be made that this would benefit clubs like Bayern and like, um, say, Barcelona Real, who don't have as much domestic competition as the English clubs do? I think it'd widen the gap um, considerably. We already see a large gap between uh, the top and uh, you know the top spot uh, in in the Bundesliga, for example, and, and what comes underneath. And it might be competitive underneath. I mean, we obviously saw Bayern um, fall to Mainz, but by and large, it's becoming a very um, Bayern-dominated league. So they want to have competition at home. Um, there was that famous story about when um, I think it was Rummenigge went to visit uh, Hunas in jail and was talking about buying Marco Royce. And uh, the rumour says that, that Hunas said, if you buy him, you'll kill the Bundesliga because it was Bayern's, uh, sorry, Dortmund's star player at the time. And you can't just cherry-pick all the good talent off your rivals, otherwise you're going to have no one left and they won't be rivals. So the clubs will be conscious of that um, with decisions like this as well. At the same time, I think they found um, good players that are uh, replacing Royce at Bayern Munich right now. And I think... If it would have boiled down to it, they would have bought him. Of course, but at least you're not buying it from your direct rival. Right. There's always some great players for you to buy. Joining us on the line to talk about their classicer this weekend is Michel Munger from Bayern Central. Michel, before we get into all that, let's have a quick chat about the defeat to Mainz on Wednesday night. Has Martin Schmidt figured out a way to beat Bayern, or was this more of a once-off? I would say that you know what we have seen yesterday were things that were really familiar to the fans. Uh, everybody is used to seeing Pep Guardiola playing a high line of, of defense against anyone, and he doesn't have a healthy center back right now. So he believes in controlling the ball and regaining quickly in the midfield, and he doesn't really have a plan B. And this has been going on, going on for a while, so... I'm not surprised to see that there was a defeat. It was just a matter of time. Uh, yeah, like you said, one of the notable features of that performance was the high line. Is that something you think he's going to continue with against Dortmund? Uh, I don't know if he will play that forward against Dortmund, but I do expect Pep to stick to his ideas. He's done that for almost three years. And as I said, he doesn't have a plan B. His football is all about a philosophy and he's going to keep applying that. He might be just a bit more cautious, but I don't expect a radical change. Michel, um, I saw you guys on Twitter um, had commented on this. Uh, Jurgen Klopp was interviewed, um, obviously in his Liverpool role, but uh, found a way to sneak uh, quite a hearty chuckle in about the Bayern result. Um, what was your reaction to that? 
I'm surprised that he's still obsessed with Byron. I'm just wondering why. Uh, was it because he wasn't offered the job for next season? Or, or just you know bad feelings from his years in Dortmund. Uh, I believe it. It was a cheap shot. Uh, I think he has better things to do than to laugh at former opponents. And it's just an unhealthy obsession. I I think everybody um, who's uh, interested in German football is somehow obsessed with Bayern Munich. And yeah, and the way yeah, that you sure. the way that Jurgen Klopp does it is just showing how authentic he is again. Yeah, it's authentic, but at the same time, uh, it's a bit childish. He could move away from that and, you know, take the right road. Uh, Michel, um, is Guardiola in trouble if they lose to Dortmund this weekend? Um, you know, there's been a little bit of uh, debate uh, here and there in some corners about whether um, perhaps they should have uh, made the change when he announced um, what his intentions were to go to Manchester City. Um Would you say that he, you know, would Bayern at all consider letting him go early? I'm pretty sure that Guardiola still has the full backing of the management he, he had, you know, since the beginning and no matter what he did. Um, they courted him publicly to keep, uh, to keep you know, coaching Bayern and no, I don't expect that. I would expect perhaps some trouble if we lose against Juventus in the, in the second leg. But until then, I think, yeah, he still has, you know, all the cards in his, in his hands. Has the has the news affected the players in any noticeable way? The the news of uh, Guardiola's intended departure. I didn't see a radical change, but for the first time uh, since the winter break, a couple of players have spoken publicly about this. Uh, I'm talking about Jero Boateng and Arturo Vidal. Uh, they both said that they learned about the move on television and that the coach didn't address the players about it. Uh, this is a bit strange. It's not the way you usually manage your team. And I'm pretty sure that it's in the back of their minds. You know what I mean? Would you expect uh, any players to follow Guardiola uh, to City? Um, there's normally some sense of loyalty when clubs, uh, when blogs change clubs. Um, with, uh, we'll go back to Klopp. I'm sure you'll enjoy that. But he obviously <laughs> uh, didn't straight away at least enter the market for any Dortmund players. Would you expect Guardiola to take the same tact or do you think he might consider uh, a few Bayern players as fair game? Most players, most key players at Bayern are under contract for at least two years and the best ones are under contract for at least until 2019. And the club doesn't have release clauses and it doesn't sell that easily. The only player that might go, and I don't know why, but it could be Mario Götze because he will only have one year left on his contract this summer. Uh, that's the only guy you could actually sell just to make sure you get money for him. For him. Uh, but I don't expect Bayern to sell players, and even Thiago Alcantara, who's you know the professor's pet, uh, he said, "No, I'm not going." Michael, getting back to uh, to the Dortmund match and their classicer, it has the it has the moniker of it being the classic game. But how big is this rivalry really, really in Germany? It's a big rivalry in sporting terms, but it's not a classico. Uh, if you look at the way things are in Spain, uh, Barcelona fans and Real Madrid fans hate each other. The teams hate each other. The true rivals for BVB are Schalke. You know, that, that's a raw derby. That's a big classic. And in history, the real rival for Bayern Munich was Mönchengladbach, especially since the glory days in the 70s. Uh, it's a big rivalry in sporting terms, but it's not at the same level. It's not as emotional. Um, at that point, 
Michel, the rivalry between uh, Bayern Munich and Gladbach is more uh, based on that 70s generation, I think, personally. Um, and it would take quite some time to bring it back to that level. Do you agree? Yeah, it would take perhaps another 10, 15, 20 years to make it you know, that, uh, at that level. And Dortmund has to keep it up in the meantime. Uh, I don't think it's going to get that emotional, not anytime soon. Um, I'm not really objective with this statement, but does the fact that you can't really call it a classic or classica uh, when, when Bayern plays Dortmund because Bayern just doesn't have that sort of fan base to drive something like that? Yeah, the fan base is not as emotional and perhaps it might be more volatile because uh, the team gained more fans in the last few years. Uh, I don't see the same kind of, you know, it's just not, not at the same level. It, the history is, just isn't there. Uh, before we let you go, uh, Michel, how do you expect uh, Pep to set up against Dortmund? I mean, do you think uh, Goethe will take time out of his busy Instagram schedule and maybe start, maybe start for Bayern? I don't think he's fit. And I think that Pep Guardiola has learned his lessons in terms of rushing players back uh, into the action. What I do expect, though, is that the team will try to do some of what it did in the first uh, game in the first half, which means using Dortmund's own game to use the long ball, stretch them vertically and wide, and try to beat them. Remember that Bayern won 5-1 and they scored three goals with long balls. The only thing is that you don't have Jerome Boateng to serve, serve those long balls, so it's not going to be as, as efficient. Can we get a prediction from you? I would say a 3-1 win with Miller scoring one goal, Lewandowski scoring one, and probably Mats Hummels scoring an own goal. So no goal for <laughs> Ramos, the uh, Bundesliga's most informed striker? <laughs> I think Aubameyang is a much better striker. Okay, thanks Michel. Pleasure. One Football, la aplicación de fútbol más completa del mundo. That's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy, Nico, Ryan and Michel. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast and hit us up on Facebook and Twitter if you have any questions for next week. Bye.